Well now, you're in store for another provocative episode of When Everything is Missions. Our hosts are Matthew Ellison from 1615 Missions Coaching and Danny Spitters of Pioneers USA. Both are co-authors of the groundbreaking book, When Everything is Missions. We want to welcome new friends to this audio episode, and for regular listeners, it will come as no surprise that today's topic will raise some eyebrows. Matthew and Denny have long resumes and missions, and both share a strong devotion to the fulfillment of the Great Commission. All right then, keep your toes in and your ears and heart open for this conversation between Matthew Ellison and Denny Spitters. The title is, Words Change Everything. Welcome to another episode of the When Everything is Missions podcast. I am Matthew Ellison, president of 1615, and I am with my dear friend, Denny Spitters, who is co-author of our book, When Everything is Missions, and also vice president of church partnerships at Pioneers. Brother, you know I love being with you. Hey, Denny, just a, a thought here. We had just did a workshop together the last two days, and we've been swinging swords together for 10, 11, 12 years. I think we oh, met 13, yeah. 14 years ago, but... Yeah, it's amazing definitely. what joy comes to God's people when they join together in a cause bigger than themselves, larger than their own interest. Yeah, it was so good. Uh, actually, we spent a couple of days with, uh, oh, at least seven or eight churches in a room, probably about 45 people that are really wrestling with what missions really is and what the Great Commission is and what role they are to play as a local church in the grand design of God's plan. So, yeah, it's great to be back. It's great to be able to kind of zero in on uh, some things that at times are pretty controversial. Yeah, we, we felt some of that tension even yesterday as we challenged people's assumptions about what missions is. We asked them, you know, are the things that you think about missions grounded in the Bible or are the things you think and believe about missions a result of cultural trends or prejudices or influences, preferences? And so, yeah, we experienced some of that. Definitely. And th- there was an article that was recently published by the Gospel Coalition, and, and I'm not even suggesting they necessarily even endorse the content. One of the things I like about those guys is sometimes they put some provocative content out there because they yep. want God's people to think. Definitely. And so I really appreciate that. But the article was entitled, Three Words That Change Mission Strategy— and why we might be wrong. And we're going to turn that on its head today for this broadcast. We're going to say these are the three words that change mission strategy and why they are indispensable. So, Denny, would you tell us kind of the you know essence of this article that was published? Yeah, it was by uh, two writers who, um, you know, talked about why the whole idea, the three words are panta, ta, uh, ethne, ethne, which means all the nations. And... Um, you know, the whole Greek word being ethne, mm-hmm. that idea, and that it represents nations. And again, just for our listeners, for clarity, yeah. we're not talking about nation states. We're not talking about geopolitical nations. Mm-hmm. We're talking about groups like the Tama or the Tarahumara. The or, Jumjum. Or the Navajo. Or about the Zaza of Turkey. Uh, exactly. So you have all these people groups uh, that represent the Panta Ta Ethne. And uh, basically, this article came out, uh, and it it had a key line that I think we have to address. Yeah, let's but before it. we do that key line, uh, let's talk about some of the good things that they kind of broached in the article. Yeah, there were some positive pieces, though I take issue with several of the points in the article. I resonated with other pieces, and one of them was this idea that 
we can finish the task. There's been this yes. movement with some missions groups, you know, identifying the people groups, which I appreciate, knowing where they're at, who they are, is there churches among them? But they have this kind of let's go get a mentality, let's get her done. And so you go to a conference, and again, there's 7,000 unreached people groups numbering yep. 2.8 billion, 3 billion souls. The reason they're unreached is because they're the it's hardest hard. to reach, very Absolutely. difficult, very dangerous. And at this conference, it's almost like an auction. Like, you know, that you're, you know, do you want 10 groups? Do you, can I hear 20? Can I hear 30 groups? And you you have these churches that are literally adopting or engaging, whatever you, I'm not going to say engagement because it's not engagement, but they're, they're taking 10, 20, 30 of these UUPGs or UPGs. And the idea is let's just get them off the list. Let's check the box. And it's a problem because it takes a massive amount of time and energy and trusting God and resources yes. to reach these people groups. It becomes a very humanistic, man-centered approach to fulfilling the Great Commission. And they took issue with that, and so do I. Yeah. Uh, just for clarification, by uh, unreached people groups represent UPGs when we say that. And when we say UUPGs, it's unengaged unreached people, people groups. groups. So, yeah. Hey, brother, I appreciate that. You know, we live in the missions world so much. It's easy to toss these uh, acronyms around. We have an acronym for everything. It's oh, a problem. Absolutely. It's a problem. And, and so it's important because, you know, as they're focusing on one uh, with their desire to want to finish the task here, here's part of the issue I have with it too, that doing missions is a task and we go get her done, as you said, for Jesus. Yeah. But we don't do mission for Jesus. Yeah. We do mission with Jesus because God is the great missionary God through his son. That's right. And he's at work around the world in places that we even and amongst peoples that we can't see. And that's why we do it with him rather than for him as if we are finishing a task. And then, of course, for some groups— um, and some people, the implication is, based upon Matthew 24, 14, is when that happens, then the end will come. And so the whole goal is, let's get her done so that God will come back right away. We can usher this in. And um, we need to be careful about that. Yes, it is through efforts of man. Were his means. Yes, were his means, as Jonathan Edwards said, but we will not make that happen. That's right. Only God knows that day and hour. Yeah, that's right. When he uses us, we're conduits. We don't bring spiritually dead people to life. It is a work of God's grace. Again, he ordains means as well as ends. But I agree, the very humanistic view of we can do this. Let's like, let's put the flag up. We did it. Right. You know, and, and sometimes I've seen some of these events and, you know, I'm, we're probably stepping on some people's toes even talking about this. That's all right. But, you know, the, the event's over and it's like, look, you know, 450 unreached, unengaged people groups have now been adopted. And there's this false celebration, this triumphalism, because it's going to take a significant amount of, again, time, faith, trust, prayer, all those things. Yes, we're his means. But- Finishing the Great Commission is not about checking people groups off a list. Yes. And and there's one other thing in this article I think that was really helpful because they talked about the whole idea of rapid multiplication. Yes. And that idea they were trying to deal with was the whole idea that the biggest thing that we that that people can do is get this done fast. 
that it's speedy. But we know that speed is entirely in God's hands in one sense, no matter the methodology, because we don't change people's hearts. That's right. We don't redeem them. We don't call them into faith, into transformation in that moment. And furthermore, we know that Matthew 28 says clearly we are to make disciples, disciples. baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, which represents evangelism again. Teaching them, though, to obey all that I have commanded you. So that's a process that takes some time. Yeah, Denny, the greatest miracle that happens in our world is the miracle of new birth. Yeah. It's not physical healing. God does sometimes physically heal. His greatest miracle is to take someone spiritually dead and make them alive. And as you pointed out, that is a work of God. Is he conduiting that work through us? Absolutely. But so, yeah, I I share those same things. And and another piece, they said, you know, we're concerned about missionary efforts that you you go into a place, you share the gospel, you, you, you jump out and you go to a new people group. Now, I don't know a lot of that being done, but if there is anyone, and that's their view of the Great Commission— I don't line up with it. I know you don't either. No, we not at all. We are called to make disciples. And in some of these people groups, it may mean five, 10, 15, who, who knows how many years it is. Right. You have to have a long view. Again, they're unreached for a reason. Correct. So I share those things with you and we appreciate those aspects of the article, but that's where it stops, brother. Yeah. Here's where, here's one paragraph, a single sentence paragraph that I have great issue with. And it's, it says this, we believe the theological grounding for this prevailing interpretation of panta ta ethne is unsubstantiated. Wow. That's a pretty strong phrase, pretty strong sentence. And I think they go on to point out they believe that it's biblically inconsistent and that the whole idea of ethno-linguistic people groups uh, is a modern anthropological definition, not a biblical theological one. And I couldn't disagree more. Yeah. And so if you hold to their position, the Great Commission's goal then is not to see a witness of Jesus established among every ethnic group, every language, every tribe, every tongue— Ponta ta ethne, the goal of the Great Commission would be just to win as many individuals to Jesus as possible. Correct. Let's just see the Gentiles, the non-Jews, which is what they talked about in the article, that the Ponta ta ethne people would hear that and think, we're just talking about the non-Jewish world, Gentiles. And so that's an issue. Yes. And this whole idea that they put forward is really, this is a modern construct. Yeah. That it's... That it is actually socio-scientific and not biblical. That those ideas do not appear in the Bible. That they did not appear among Jewish, um, Jewish, the Jewish nation. That mm-hmm. they, but we know in the Old Testament yes. that they referred to the nations as the goyim. That they were Gentiles, not of the Jewish nation. And it was far more than simply a a category for non-Jewish people. Right? Exactly. It was bigger than that. We, we see it in the story of Jonah, right? Yes. It's interesting. I pulled up Jonah here to kind of look at 
what they had to say. And of course, you know that Jonah, what happens to Jonah, right? Yeah. God tells him, this is a great mission story, actually. Yeah, it is. It's, it's excellent. phenomenal. It's really good. And so what happens? Go ahead. Yeah. Um, he's ethnocentric. Well. <laughs> he's egocentric. Pretty much, he's yeah. He's really not into He knows God is gracious and compassionate, <laughs> and he knows that he loves the world. Yep. And so he is, I would say, redi- I was going to say reticent. He was more than reticent. He was just plain disobedient. He was that's digging all. his heels in. Yeah, he, absolutely. He, he did not want the Ninevites to hear the gospel. And so he runs away from the Lord, the text says, headed for Tarshish, gets on a ship. Before long, I mean, we're talking Cat 5 hurricane-ish. Yes. Kind of, you know, is going on here. And then just to show you how the Bible itself refers to this, the captain went and said, because he's down below sleeping in the deck, how can you sleep? Get up and call your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to some, hey, let's cast lost to find out who's responsible for this. Somebody here has done something really bad. And so they did, and it fell on Jonah. And this is what they asked us. They asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? That's socio. Where do you come from? That's geographical. Mm-hmm. What is your country from what People are you. So to say that people didn't think in those terms is is really ludicrous. It is. And, you know, it starts broad and then it gets narrower and narrower and narrower until the point where he's talking about (laughs) what tribe are you from? Exactly. Yeah. And you know what? This is biblical. This is biblical because from the Tower of Babel forward, we see that God has designed creation and caused there to be ethnic, geographical diversity in which the gospel is to go into all of it, into all the pantata ethne. So we would disagree with it that it's not simply their point is, oh, it's primarily a religious, spiritual connotation it has nothing to do, in in essence, with anthropological terms, or there are plenty of anthropological yeah. terms in the word. So, can we be sure? Because they that's say we the can't. Answer. That's can a, we be sure? That's a question, yeah. That this is what Jesus meant in Matthew 28 when he said, make disciples of all the nations. And they say we can't. And, and they clearly lean into this idea that when he says, Pantata ethne, he's talking about the non-Jewish world. You have the religious Jews, and the rest are the Gentiles. But just a few things here. And by the way, this is a a reference to an article that Piper published in Perspectives. I believe it's Lesson 4, Mandate for the Nations. And if you've read the TGC article and you're a little bit disturbed and wondering what's going on, I highly recommend that you get this article by Dr. John Piper, Discipling All the Peoples. I think it really dispels a lot of the issues that, you know, were surfaced here. And so just a few things I want to pull out of this. In the New Testament, the singular ethnos never refers to Gentile individuals. Yes. The singular ethnos, that is striking, Danny, mm. striking. Every time the singular ethnos does occur, it refers to people groups or nations, often the Jewish nation, even though in the plural is usually translated Gentiles, it's distinction from the Jewish people. So I want to give some examples here to illustrate the corporate meaning okay. of the singular youth of ethnos. Matthew 24, 7. Nation, ethnos, hey, 
for our listeners right now. I'm sorry to get so technical, but this is so essential, okay? Yes. Nation, ethnos, will rise against nation, ethnos, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. We're talking about tribes and yes. peoples, and we're experiencing that today. Matthew de- 24 is talking are. about, that's what we're living today, the signs of the end of the age, right? The birth pains that precede the delivery. Um, Acts 2.5, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem devout men from every ethnos under heaven. Again, it's a reference to nations. How, this is the best one. And I was surprised it didn't show up in the article. And maybe it didn't because I, I think it would counter their position. Revelation 5, 9. Yeah, there you go. By your blood, you ransomed men for God from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, ethnos. And if I could go back to the Old Testament, yep. just briefly, um, the whole idea of what happened in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, where the Lord said to Abraham, go for, for, uh, from your country and f- your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who curse you, and him who curses you I will curse. And here's a key line, and by you all the families, families of the earth will be blessed. So this promise for universal blessing is to the families of the earth and is essentially repeated in Genesis throughout it in 18, uh, 18, 22, 18, 26, 20, chapter 28. So in Hebrew, in Hebrews chapter 12, 3 and 28, 14, the phrase for all families is rendered in the Greek, can you pronounce this? I, I'm not a Greek scholar, so pasai hai fulai. The word fulai means tribes in most contexts, and mishpa can be and usually is smaller than a tribe. In other words, a family. That's right. So let's do this. I'd like to cite some of the examples of ethnos referring to individuals, because it does sometimes. And again, their point is that's what their position is, okay? So let's cite some of the ones where it is referring to individuals. So here's Acts 13, 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of God. This is a reference not to people groups, but to the group of Gentile individuals who were at the synagogue. Here's another one. 1 Corinthians 12, 2. You know that you were, excuse me, you know that when you were Gentiles, ethne, you were led astray to dumb idols. So in this verse, the you refers to individual converts because it wouldn't make sense to say when you were nations, right? Right. So I want to explain, there is, you know, this goes both ways. But what what I want to do here, Denny, is give a reference of when um, the, the taking of the promised land by Israel, Paul says this, when he had destroyed seven nations, ethne, in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. So what can be seen here is that the plural ethne can mean Gentile individuals who may not be a part of a people group or, okay, or it can mean, as it always does in the singular, a people group with ethnic identity. So there is both sides of this. So what I want to zero in on now as we begin to wrap this up can we be certain which meaning was intended by Jesus in Matthew 28 when he said, make disciples of all the nations? Was he talking about Gentile individuals or was he talking about nations? Yeah. 
Well, uh, it's really important out of the 18 uses of Pantatathne in the New Testament or its variant, only the one in Matthew 25, 32 would seem to demand the meaning Gentile individuals. Three others demand the people group meaning on the basis of the context that they are found in in Acts 2, 5, 1035, and 1726. Six others require the people group meaning on the basis of the Old Testament connection, Mark 11, 17, Luke 21, 24, Acts 15, 17, Galatians 3, 8, Revelation 12, 5, and Revelation 15, 4. So when you look at all of these, there is very strong evidence that what they're saying is not true, that there is no biblical, um, in essence, they said support. They, yeah, they, they said it is unsubstantiated. And again, I think Piper's article here really dispels that. And I realize, guys, we're throwing out a lot of right. scripture and verse, but I would encourage you, if this is something that you're contending with, you know, thinking through, I would definitely get Piper's article. Here's what I want to do. I believe that we can conclude concerning the meaning of Pontat Ethne, Matthew 28, and its wider missionary significance that it was referring to the people group. So here it is. Okay, this is a distillation of all that we've just talked about. Number one, the singular use of ethnos in the New Testament always refers to a people group. Pause. That's significant. The singular use of ethnos always refers to people groups, not individuals. The plural use of ethnos can go other way. Okay. Either way, we yep. just we talked about that. Yep. It must either refer to a people group and sometimes to individuals, but again, it goes both ways. Yep. The fr- number three, the phrase pantata ethne must refer to Gentile individuals only once. There's only one that we know for certain that it was individuals, but must refer to people groups nine times. So the remaining eight may refer to people groups. So Danny, what's the conclusion here? Well, the conclusion is, is that the combination of these results suggests that the meaning of Pantatan ethne leans heavily in the direction of all the nations, all people groups. In fact, the phrase Pantata ethne, uh, virtually used in the Greek Old Testament, all of the 100 or so uses of Pantata ethne refer to nations in distinction from the nation of Israel. Wow, that's powerful stuff here. So I'm going to say based upon this bevy, I love that word, this bevy of biblical you know, evidence and verses that Jesus commissioned his church not just to win and to disciple individuals outside of the Jewish religion, but yes. to reach all the different people groups in the world, to see that there is a viable worshiping witness of Jesus Christ in every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. And Denny, this is very significant. We've talked about yep. this earlier today. The implications of a philosophy that says it's not about the ethnic groups. We can't be sure it's about the people groups. It is about individuals. It leads to some very serious consequences. Well, we see it in the book of Acts. You know, uh, Paul and Barnabas go out and then they come back with their, um, you know, their very first kind of celebratory report to the church in Antioch. And it says that um, 
in Acts chapter 15 and 16, what happens is this explosion of uh, oh, the, the parochialism yes. of the Jewish Christians who come to them and say, ah, you can't become a Christian and be saved until you are circumcised. All the Gentiles that want to receive the gospel have to be circumcised too. And of course, we know that that thing really unfolds with Paul, especially yes. going before the leaders in Jerusalem and and hotly contesting yes. that this could not be added to the gospel, yeah. that it was a distortion of the gospel, yeah. and that it was actually an ethnocentric view adding to the gospel something that biblically could not be done. That's right. Uh, at that workshop we were at yesterday, we contrasted the church in Jerusalem to the church in Antioch. Yep. And we asked the question, will you be like the church in Jerusalem? That was ethnocentric. I mean, I, I yeah. love the unvarnished narratives in the Bible. They thought that the Great Commission was about Jews only. Yeah. They weren't concerned about the Pantatioth. They, they didn't do Acts 1-8. They didn't go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, yeah. and the earth. So God did Acts 8-1. He dispersed them. But even then, they were reticent to share the gospel with the Gentiles. Not until Acts 13, when you see this audacious church, does the gospel actually begin to spread to the nations. So, you know, you're listening to this, you're a church leader. Are you going to be a Jerusalem-like mm. church or are you going to be a church like those audacious folks in yep. Antioch? Yep. And you know what? This is really good to be here at this point today. We want to encourage those of you who either are a part of a church that's wrestling with something like this or you're a part of a church that's trying to discover what it means to be an Antioch 13, I would say one to four church that raises up people through a process that wrestles with the truths and um, the, the commissioning statements of Christ to send to the nations will not pull back from that challenge. As Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth labors into his fields. And that's what we want to do. We want to call churches yeah. to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth labors. And we believe he'll raise them up so that we can do that process of going to the nations responsibly, biblically, yes. and so that the nations might hear him. Yeah. I want to make mention again of Piper's article because we got really wonky on this podcast. Oh, yeah. We delivered chapter, verse, chapter, verse, because we feel it was very necessary that there was a biblical foundation that we were building our position on. And so it is called, once again, Denny, Discipling All the Peoples. It's written by John Piper, and I think it's an excellent counter to this article that was recently published. Uh, I want to reference a scripture that we referenced last podcast. So if you're listening again, you're getting a double whammy, but it's a good one. Mm. Revelation 5. Mm. We see the end to which all of history is moving. And it is Jesus Christ receiving the reward of his suffering. And what does it say? People from every language, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And that's that word again, pantatiathne there, Denny. And it wouldn't make any sense to have these groupings, these tribal groupings, and um, categories, and then suddenly talk about individuals. It's talking about the nations. Yes. So if that's where history's headed, hmm. let's take our temporary local lives and labors and align them with that. 
commission, the commission that cannot fail. Amen. That's a great way to end, bro. Amen. God bless you, brother. See you all next time. As usual, a question for the audience is left hanging in the air on this edition of When Everything is Missions with Matthew Ellison and Danny Spitters. The question is, when it comes to exporting the gospel, what kind of church will we be? Ingrown like early Jerusalem or outgoing like evangelistic Antioch? Please take time to drill down on critical conversations such as this online at whenevertythingismissions.com. Here, you'll find a full archive of Mission Table Talks, When Everything is Missions episodes, and much more, including teachings by Matthew Ellison that will rock your world. Also, a link to lay hands on Denny and Matt's book, When Everything is Missions. That link again, whenevertythingismissions.com. And that's it for now. We'll be back next time with Matthew Ellison and Denny Spitters on When Everything is Missions. Missions.